What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had on the program a very good friend of Two White Lights, the notorious emperor himself, Joe Chow, joined me. He is the owner, he is the founder of Notorious Lift Slippers, and this is his second time on the show, and it's always a delight speaking to Joe, uh, particularly due to just, he's a huge enthusiast of the sport, he loves powerlifting, and it's nice to kind of change the pace a little bit, especially from my standpoint, because I myself am a big powerlifting fan, a big enthusiast, and that's really what the episode is, it's two powerlifting fans shooting the shit about powerlifting, and it's just fun to do. Uh, we did talk a little bit about the slippers too, because I get a lot of questions about the slippers. We talk about the differences between the older models and the new models, uh, some of the some of the things he's trying to do for the future, uh, some of the growth that Notorious Lift has taken since the first time he's appeared on Two White Lights, and we also just talk about powerlifting and a lot of meat day stuff, mindset going into competitions, uh, preps as well. Again, just two powerlifting fans talking about powerlifting, and it was very fun to do. So, Joe Chow, second time on the show, and I know it won't be his last. Fantastic interview we did with him. But before we get into that, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com. Follow them on Instagram. If you follow me and Two White Lights and you don't follow Leflar Bros, shame on you because... Leflar Bros embodies everything great about powerlifting. They help the community, they get themselves involved in meets, and they supply powerlifters with awesome-ass merchandise. All of the clothing at Leflar Bros is an absolute 10. You guys know I have fallen deeply in love with the comp tees. Comp tees are something of a lost art in powerlifting. You have all these clothing brands, but they don't design like really awesome, sleek-looking comp tees. Leflar Bros has done it. They got two of them, and they got a whole lot more. They got the baseball tees. They got the regular t-shirts with the unique designs that relate to straight sports and straight training in some way. So at checkout, when you're buying some of this dope-ass merchandise, use that promo code 2WL15. You will get 15% off of your order. 2WL15, and while you're there, check out the two White Lights merchandise they got. That's right. They have two White Lights merchandise on Leflar Bros. You can only... Get it on Leflar Bros. You can't get it anywhere else. Use that same promo code. We got two t-shirts, the Fight Night, the original, and of course, the Dad Hat as well. And possibly a new design coming soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Get excited for that. So remember, follow them on Instagram and visit their website to buy some merch. Also, go to Rivalist.net and get yourself some Informed Choice Supplements. Informed Choice Supplements are important for all you natty lifters who listen to Two White Lights. That label is on USAPL database and the website of stuff you can take for USAPL meets. No banned substances. It is tested through all the sports organizations. That's where you get that label. So go on Rivalist.net. Use promo code Angelo15 at checkout and saves yourself some money on informed choice supplements. From pre-workout to protein powder, they got it. Also, go to Stoic.net or Lift.net, my bad, and get some Stoic gear. Lift.net, get yourself some Stoic gear. I only wear Stoic gear in the gym on the platform, and the reason why I do that is because it's the best. I want to equip myself with the best equipment I can to help me lift, and Stoic has got that. They also make you look good doing it too. They got the white label, the black label, the green label. You name it, Lift.net and Stoic gear will help you 
Use promo code ANGELO10, get 10% off of your order when you buy some Stoic gear. Also, I mean, this episode is uh, commercial in and of itself, but remember to follow Notorious Lift on Instagram and sign up for that newsletter because that newsletter is important because no slip drip is a real thing. Not only are they the best deadlift shoes out on the market right now, also, they look amazing, and people know that. They have so many different color waves, they have so many different designs, that it's going to match your gym attire, your platform attire, and you don't want to miss out on that. And these things sell fast, so get on those drops as soon as they come out, because they sell out in minutes. We're talking Arnold Fast, we're talking 2021 Raw Nationals Fast. These things sell out very, very fast. So, make sure you're on a newsletter, make sure you follow me on Instagram, and get yourself some Notorious Lift Slippers. Also, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, leave a review as well. That's important for the show. And we're available on Spotify as well. So shoot us a follow there. Don't miss out on the Two White Lights episodes as soon as they drop. And also you can listen to us on twowhitelights.com as well if you don't have those two uh, platforms. And without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. And as promised, I got with me for his second appearance on Two White Lights, the notorious upper himself, Joe Chow. How are you, man? Good, good, man. Just been obviously super busy um, running the brand. And then I just had a kid six months ago. I, I can't remember when was the last time we did a podcast. Was it a year ago? Was it at least a year ago? It was just about that. I congratulated you on becoming a father because that's when you announced it on Instagram. I congratulated you on the sex, and uh, you have you have the child now. So yeah, it was, had to be about a year. No, I think because at that time, obviously, you were recording. In your basement, so obviously COVID already started. So it has to be maybe around April of last year. So I think it's about a year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was during COVID that we did that stuff. So yeah, man, it's been a lot has changed in that year, especially for uh, I mean the both of us, but you in particular with the brand. You know, some life uh-huh. things too. Uh, I think uh-huh. since Notorious Lift has, you know, only gotten more popular and more people are wearing the slippers and we see these awesome new designs and these new features on it too. Wait, at that time when we did do our first podcast, did you or did you already have a pair of uh, the, the slippers yet? I had two pairs. You had two pairs. I think at that time, April, I don't think the Sumo Soul came out yet then, nope. right? Nope. Yeah, it was, it was shortly after. It was shortly after because you sent me um, you sent me a pair afterwards. But yeah, I had the uh, for, I, I just had I had one pair that I bought from you. Then you sent me another one because the belt buckle broke on my first pair. So you sent me another one. Then that's when the sumo soul came out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, 
there's already a Gen 2 version of the Sumo Soul, which uh, you wore at your meet uh, last week. Um, so let's talk about from the Notorious Lifters to the first Gen Sumo Soul. Was it a dramatic difference for you? I feel more comfortable in those. And I actually think this is going to be good for a lot of the listeners like uh, tuning in right now. Because I get a lot of questions on I get a lot of questions on shoes. A lot of questions. A lot of questions on what shoes I wear, what slippers I wear, and I never, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I thought maybe there would be more questions uh, relating to, like, powerlifting stuff, but it's it's all about the shoes, man. But, um, yeah, there is a noticeable difference in it, and they feel a little bit, uh, a little bit more support around my, like, around my toes, where the other ones, like, they would kind of, I would kind of feel like, the buckle would get a little bit loose. That one I had more like feel around my toes and just a more comfortable slipper um, with the with, with a with the sumo deadlift. And it, I don't know what it is about it, but it makes me getting into the ground like rooting, like getting my feet like because that was a big thing me and Joe talked about. He noticed that my feet were getting a little bit happy on some of my deadlifts, so we had to like really get our foot into the ground. So when I use the the new sumo soles. Uh, Feel a little bit better with that. Yeah, that's good. One thing is, um, obviously, we cannot please everybody, right? Even though I try my best, and sometimes I take it personally when people. I we necessarily never had a bad review of our slippers, but um, some people actually prefer the notorious lifters uh, over the sumo saw because they feel that they're able to root their feet a lot better with the with the first rendition because mm-hmm. you know with the thinner sole and the very minimal feel of it they feel like they're able to actually you know have better sensory with the floor um compared to the sumo sole but then the reason why i created a sumo sole because people were complaining even with the side lateral walls on the first one they were still their feet was were still spilling onto the side um but honestly, it's weird because like I've seen lifters like you or like Garrett Fear, like you guys never really had that issue with with the spilling of the feet, whether it be with the, the notorious lifters or the sumo sole. But obviously, the sumo sole, your feet just sit so much better into the bottom sole. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I have I've heard heard people say that before, but really with me, I just can't. I don't know. Like, I think, uh, I think with people's sumo techniques, they have to s- maybe occasionally stop looking towards the shoe and maybe towards their own like technique with what they do as far as their feet placement goes. Because um, I, I have told this to people before. I'm like, if you can't find the right slipper, I think maybe, maybe it's your sumo. <laughs> I think I think that might be the, the actual problem here is the uh, sumo, but. Yeah, I mean, I have, I of course love the two pairs, and actually, for the listeners tuning in, what has been the difference with those two? Like, what is the main difference between the notorious, the original notorious lifters, and the uh, the sumo, the the new gen sumo souls? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing too, because for me, like, it doesn't really matter which one I go to, whether it be the sumo soul or the notorious lifters, it really does not change my deadlift at all. Like you said, like, you know, is it's, it's just an equipment, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I'm never going to preach. Oh, yeah, it's going to, you know, blow up your deadlift. It's going to make it, you know, 
it's going to really change your form and make it optimal. But, you know, it, like you said, that's all it, down to your technique. Yeah. So as far as design, as far as like this, the, the make, what was the big change that you had to make between the two? As far as um, like, what's the, because people ask me a lot and about the sumo soles and like, I can't really like give them a legit answer because I didn't design the shoe myself. So what, what are the biggest differences? The biggest difference between the notorious lifters and the sumo sole is obviously the side lateral walls. Okay. So obviously, you know, I kind of made it pretty extreme with the side lateral wall going, you know, basically covering, you know, the whole side of your, your feet. Mm -hmm. And um, another one is also the heel cup area. You know, it, your feet sits really into the, into the cup of the sole. And uh, moving forward towards sumo sole gen one to gen two, people were still complaining there were, there weren't enough ankle support or they still felt their, their heel still sliding inside the slipper. So that's why I added, uh, Oh man, I got these new colorways coming out. Let me grab. Is it, wait, do you post a video too? No, I don't. Or is it just? Oh, you don't. Okay, okay. Well, this is another colorway that's coming out. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Uh, this is actually we're making a donation towards um, like uh, animal preservation and stuff like that and uh, stuff like that. But um, you know, we added the internal heel counter in it, so I'm sure you did. Do you feel a difference too between the Gen ones and the Gen twos of the sumo sole with like the thicker material? Yeah, yeah, it feels actually more like a, a shoe. You know, like not necessarily a slipper, but a shoe, like an actual, uh, like almost like uh, the same feeling you get with the squat shoes that I have, minus the uh, the laces. Like it's, which is good for which is good for me because I think that actually helps my feet be a little bit more support uh, supported. Yeah, and that's why I hate because, like, people are like, oh, you know, Gen 2 looks way too much like a shoe. Like, you know, you guys are moving more towards a shoe than a slipper. I'm like, the, the, the purpose is not to either call it a slipper or a shoe. My main goal, or the, the brand's goal, is to create footwear that makes your foot feel secured when you're lifting. Yeah. And hopefully optimize it as much as possible. It doesn't matter if you call it a slipper or a shoe. The goal is just to make a footwear where it's, you know, I take whatever issues that, we have in past generations and just simply try to improve it or whatever product that's out there that has problems. I'm trying to find a solution to it, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, it's moving towards the issue, but you know, I'm always trying to, you know, focus on, you know, improving the quality, using better materials and just making it more aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I would, I, I was like kind of psyched that it was becoming more of a shoe. I was like, all right, sweet. It, like, it looks different. It looks a little bit more fashionable. And I, I mean, even on the ad reads when I do it on two white lights, it's like the look of it is so important to me. Like the look, and even though I, I do love the slippers, I think with the next gen that you had, it just looks cooler. It looks like it. It looks like you can make those look like Jordans. You know what I mean? You can make with the designs and the colors you have. You have a little bit easier of a way to make it look like a pair of Jordans or a fashionable footwear that people can wear because uh, I mean of course you know I'm all about performance but at the same time I love I, I love fashionable things I like you know the, the the designs you guys come up with that's that's uh I mean that's I think that's what sep separates a lot of it for for certain people is this is sleek looking design like I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff yeah so you know the main goal of the brand is to create 
footwear that is functional and promotes foot health at the same time make it both aesthetically pleasing you know Mm -hmm. yeah and i yeah you're nailing it right now because uh with all the with all designs that you guys have uh, created over there i've been it's only since we first talked and Uh then even even like you guys were established at that point since we first talked like the amount of colors and designs you guys created since has been awesome like going into surgery level, seeing all the people's slippers. And it now it's at a point where it's like, it's seriously, when you look at their slippers, it's it's like a rainbow. It's like a rainbow of just different people in the gym. Like you, a lot of people have the blue ones. Uh, a lot of people have like the, the white on orange ones, really great color scheme there. Uh, people have the pink ones, the, the honeydew like of uh, looking like it's all over the place with the colors that people are wearing. And it's, it's actually really cool to see because that just shows the growth of the brand since we last yeah. talked it's just people yeah. people have their people have their color schemes and they have enough <clears throat> slippers to match like any of their gym attires with me with yeah. all the ones that you sent me i'm like all right i get a little bit of options today sometimes <laughs> i switch it up between my warm-up people have noticed that like my warm-up sets i know are <laughs> my top sets are one slipper then the back off sets are another slipper uh yeah. i'm like i'm like really i just want to save my shoes but too. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a funny thing because I see the comments. They're like, "Why do you change out the colorways?" Like, "Hey, I'm trying to." You're like, "I'm trying to preserve the longevity of the of the slipper that I like." You know? Yeah, yeah. The one, but, and um, especially my platform, because I do have pl- my platform slippers. Like, because yeah. well, of course, the platform slippers I want to be in mint condition uh, on the platform, <laughs> but also they're the slippers that match my platform attire. So I got I got to I got to save the ones that are going to make me look the best on the platform. Yeah. So to really throw it out there too, so to whoever who listens to two, two White Lights, like we're actually coming out with a Gen 3 version of the Sumo Soul, you know, as early as June, oh, uh, wow. most likely in July. Wow. And, you know, to be, it's going to be thinner than this, and it's going to be a lot more aesthetically pleasing, and uh, there might be a lace version of it. So, yeah. All yeah. right. Can we can so, I, you know, can my feet and nose? When I create this, I, I just wanted it to be very functional. I feel like obviously you can clean up a lot of things with the bottom sole, with the lines and the design and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So the version is definitely out, and um, we also have a shoe that's being developed right now too. And hopefully, you know, we're we're still in the R and D stage of that one, and trying to you know really you know refine it and um you know that's what the goal is notorious lift is it's like you know we're not trying to forget about apparel thing but we're trying to really broaden our product category and really attack the barefoot market and you know you know there's a lot of brands like vivos and obviously a, you know a smaller brand like barefoot athletics in the, in the apparel thing community and stuff like that are really creating you know wide toe box shoes you know zero drop soles, you know, really promoting foot health and, and stuff in that nature. And that's what we're trying to attack. And, but we're adding a twist to it, you know, making it, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Because uh, to explain, you know, the gist of it, it's like the bottom sole part is what, it's what makes the, the shoe functional, right? Obviously, you know, the security of the upper also, the upper is what really kind of brings out you know, the more of like the cosmetic side of a footwear. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's where a notorious slip is yeah. for this year. Yeah, man, I'm really excited for that. But um, 
I, I got to ask you this. Since we first talked, you gave me mm-hmm. a little bit of your ideas, what you want to accomplish with Notorious Lift, and just as far as your personal goals, because I ask a lot of lifters what they want their legacy to sport to be in. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be known for? Has that changed since we first talked? Because since then, there's been so many developments, and you're closer to your goal. And then as you get closer to your goal, sometimes the goal changes. So has there been any sort of this what you want to do differently, or has your goal changed at all as far as like your future yeah. legacy talk goes? So, you know, back then, I was – when we first had our first podcast, I – you know, was already taking time off powerlifting or, or wasn't really consistent with powerlifting. And at that time, I thought I would rebuild my motivation to, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe break more like deadlift records or whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, I lost more, I lost more motivation uh, after that, where it's because, you know, you know, the brand just got way more busy than it was back then. And I had a kid and stuff like that. I know it sounds like I'm making excuses, but, you know, I, I guess the drive to try to break records or try to, you know, rebuild my passion for it, it, it just diminished, you know, and my new goal is more of just building the brand and actually taking the brand to the mainstream, almost like, you know, you heard of the brand Noble for CrossFit, right? The shoe brand, Noble. Oh, yeah, uh, Noble. Oh, yes. yes. No, yeah, Noble Project. So that's what my intention is for the tourist Slip. It's like, you know, housing itself is still a, a niche sport, but I really want to take it to the mainstream. And the only way I can take it to the mainstream is really making a name of Notorious Slip. So it's a household name that, you know, it doesn't matter if powerlifters wear it, but it could be general bodybuilders, you know, people who just go to commercial gyms. If they know Notorious Slip, they know that it was based off powerlifting. It would also bring the rise of powerlifting as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that's my goal because powerlifting changed my life. Like, as cheesy as it sounds, like, you know, it, and I was able to build you know, an income out of the brand and I met my wife through powerlifting and I met, met, you know, most of my close friends from the powerlifting community. So yeah. it, it brought me so much success to my life. So it's like, it, you know, powerlifting is never going to go away. Like I'm not competitive anymore, but it's still a big uh, aspect of my life. Yeah, I agree. And you know, with what you have going with your brand now, and you say you want to be on the mainstream, it's, it's actually, it's actually a extremely realistic goal because it's mainstream and powerlifting. Now. And that's a hard thing to do. Be mainstream in like the be create a brand and be mainstream and notarized in powerlifting, and to do it as long as you've been doing it because there's a lot of brands out there who are popular for a little bit, and then they don't come up with any innovations. They stay stagnant, and people are like, "Yeah, powerlifters have a attention span of nothing." So if if there's something that's not new and shiny and out in front of them, or nothing that's being innovated, people forget about it. And I think I've seen that with a lot of brands. But you, since we've talked, have gotten better with that. Like I said, when I see more people at Surge in my gym, just my gym specifically, wearing Notorious Slippers and having so many different designs, that just shows that people in powerlifting know that. So if you keep on with that momentum, then yeah, I think it could definitely be something in the mainstream where people are, um, people outside of powerlifting are 
going to recognize Notorious Lift. Uh, and th- that's one thing I noticed, and that's one thing that I guess kind of scares me too. Like, you know, but I came to realize, like, if I cannot innovate anymore, if I can- cannot come up with new product that real that will really benefit, you know, our consumers, then you know that that's basically the life cycle, the end of the life cycle of the brand. You know, I don't want to just push product just to push product. Like, I, if I'm gonna commit to the brand, it has to be because I'm trying to innovate something, and you know, I'm not trying to look at what my competitors are doing or whatever that's in the market. Like, you know, I want to be in the in the forefront, really spearheading the change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to really benefit the community. Um, so yeah, that's that. I guess that that's the goal of of the brand. Um, and, you know, back then it was just, you know, a really small business. So it was just me really coming out with designs and trying to put things together. But now as the company grows, I brought in a lot more people to the company. And, you know, I, I bought like a fashion designer. I bought a shoe designer because, you know, I, I felt like I, I capped out on what my capabilities are. And now it's more like, okay, I need to act as a CEO and bring in the right people to really keep propelling the brand. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, since I've since I've uh, been on Notorious Lift, I've seen that, which it's been great to see. But you mentioned something interesting there, and that's powerlifting and mainstream. So, with a guy like you, who's obviously very innovative, how do you see powerlifting getting more into the mainstream? Because we talk about this a lot on Two White Lights. We had the episode with you know Gary Fear and Sean Noriega. We had Sean Noriega and Russ Horgy on the show talking about the growth of powerlifting, possibly getting on ESPN what it needs to be in the mainstream. How do you think powerlifting can get itself into like more mainstream success? You know, it, it, I think we have to follow the same model as CrossFit. You know, I, I feel like there's too many uh, politics that goes on in powerlifting. I feel like we need to unite as a whole and figure out, okay, we need to, you know, Gareth Fear is the one who kind of spearheads this, even though people are trying to cancel him and because of, you know, him speaking the truth and stuff like that. But, you know, he calls people out when it comes to like when they're not hitting depth for squats or when they're at a meet and they get three white lights, two white lights. And when you already know that lift shouldn't have passed, you know, it, there has to be some sort of legitimate legitimacy in regards to passing. There has to be a set standard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's crazy because I competed in USPA and, um, you know, most of uh, the supporters of Notorious Lift is from USAPL. You know, I just never had, the, when I competed, there was no opportunity to really compete in USAPL in California. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's yeah. a lot more opportunity opportunities now, but I feel like USAPL should be the set standard federation for power. So if we do hit the Olympics, like, it should be, you know, from the USAPL. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I, and I feel like, you know, even... Like Russ Wall is is obviously one who is kind of spearheading, really bringing powerlifting to the mainstream with you know with his with his following and stuff. You know, I don't think uh, majority of his followers are pure powerlifters. You know, there's people who are into general fitness, but they see a guy that's super strong. And I, you know, as you go to commercial gyms, you see people doing a lot more powerlifting movements. You, you see squ- uh, people squatting, benching, deadlifting. You know, and that's why the, the squat racks are always taken now and you actually have to wait in line to get grab a squat rack but we were talking like maybe five ten years ago that wasn't the case mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i feel like orga- yeah. i feel like organically powerlifting is growing 
but it's just, it has to be a set standard when it comes to the sport itself. But also at the same time, maybe we should be welcoming people more to when it comes to competing, you know, maybe a lot of people are, are discouraged because they see like, I don't know, Russell, Sean Norigo, or you like pulling 740 when, you know, maybe the general lifter who's like an 83 kg, maybe can only pull like 500 to 600 pounds, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe there should be more promotion in regards to local meets. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you've been uh, keeping on, on tap with this, but like with the, uh, with the, yeah, I agree with that, with the promotion of local meets, but have you seen any of this, like the, the primetime sessions being opened up in the USAPL with these local meets uh, recently? Cause I think that's been a big thing that's actually might promote more people into local local meets because it, it feels like there's a little bit more prestige involved. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like obviously uh, pre COVID there was building um, but obviously with COVID with a year off and you know there was a lot of politics going on too with meets being ran and you know a lot of mandates in regards to you know safe protocols uh, you know with wearing masks and stuff like that. I, I felt that obviously put a hindrance when it comes to really promoting local meets and just powerlifting in general. But I feel like, you know, people have adjusted and, you know, it's time, you know, I guess everyone is, to train is back on, on its track, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that one. I think more promotional local meets will be great. I think uh, that, that goes down to this federation talk, but, so I don't know if you I know you're busy so keeping up with the sport but how about like a meet like showdown we we're talking about a unification the showdown meet that's happening in September uh, I know Garrett Fear is like heavily involved in that as well but is that something you see being a opportunity for powerlifting to be pushed into a more popular light I think so because I think now that people think you know to really hit mainstream it has to be on ESPN. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's just even remember when Thor pulled 500 kgs. Was it 500 kgs? Yeah, and it was it was live streamed, right? I mean, I feel like a majority of people who are watching was from live stream, even though it was uh, it was also on maybe ES- ESPN too. I think. I think it was. It was. But, I believe it was ESPN. The live the like the live stream version of it where you can watch it. Uh, I don't know if it was on ESPN. I do. Uh-huh. I do agree with you though, because you're. I think I know where you're going with this. With you know, mainstream and being ESPN, powerlifting has been on ESPN. Powerlifting has been on ESPN multiple times. Um, if you're talking about the ESPN app where you're watching live streams, yes, but also it's been on ESPN one, the regular one that you just tune into your on your TV. That doesn't necessarily always mean mainstream success because it has to be consistent. It has to be something that you look forward to. And ESPN is never going to consistently air powerlifting. It just is never going to happen. It's impossible to. Powerlifting doesn't consistently air powerlifting because powerlifting meets happen every three weeks or so. So I I, I, I don't know if that's where you're going with it as far as ESPN, but I don't think that's the... That's the end all be all. If you get if you get one powerlifting meet or two powerlifting meets a year on ESPN or any major network, that's not the mainstream success that powerlifters are going to appreciate. And that's why it doesn't necessarily have to be aired. You know, I think it's more about just building powerlifting in general. 
and just like having people actually who want to get into fitness actually start powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's just the same thing as CrossFit, right? There's a lot of pe- members at CrossFit boxes, but not everyone watches the CrossFit games, right? They just, they, they love, uh, you know, practicing CrossFit, but they're not going to necessarily just watch the um are very you know gung ho when it comes to watching the CrossFit games or following you know who's the top dog right now and stuff like that. Oh, okay. and um, you know, in the beginning, a majority of people who bought the slippers were competitive lifters or people who compete consistently. But now we're seeing a lot of people who you know buy the slippers who are who go to commercial gyms and you know part of the routine is to do the big three. Otherwise, they're more into power building. Instead yeah. of just purely powerlifting. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this: Have you ever decided? Have you ever thought about getting involved in those local meets a little bit more, as far as just your brand and kind of attaching yourself to meets? Because I feel like that would be a really great way to kind of one give back to the sport of powerlifting, but two get your brand out there as well. Oh yeah. So I mean, this is obviously not a local meet, but uh, the Hybrid Showdown. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Notorious Lift was a, a sponsor there, and we're sponsoring a couple of more meets out in Texas in the upcoming months. Um, you know, I, I, that's one thing too, because back then it was just me tr- like trying to figure everything out. It was me doing everything for for the brand, but now it's you know I'm bringing more people involved and really trying to build structure internally with Notorious Lift. So it's like you know as you know, local meets open up now. It's like, you know, we're actually going to have like a booth there and stuff like that. But to be honest, it's like, like in regards to like, you know, being in the Fit Expo or, or stuff like that, it's like we necessarily don't need sales from it because like we're on, on our website, which is social media itself. It's it's what is building traction for the brand. But it's in regards to really, you know, I guess benefiting benefiting the, the meet directors and just promoting the meets itself i think i think that's one of the goals for notorious yeah yeah i i yeah and I, i've seen them more that's why i asked because i saw you had you know obviously uh your name attached to the hybrid meet which is awesome uh one of the you know the more anticipated highly publicized meets of the year also got to commentate the circle city super i know that you had a uh, you, you you had your uh, label attached to that as well so I just and that's I think that's the next step with a lot of brands is getting themselves attached to meets and actually in in some capacities putting on their own meets like using that brand like okay this is where the funding is going to come from it's going to be from these types of brands it's going to be notorious lifts presents this meet or this brand representing this meet and the meet directors obviously follow suits but I think I, I do like seeing that more be in powerlifting because I think that was one of the uh, progressions as far as like the business aspect of it that I saw. When I first got into powerlifting, it was just meats. Now it's brands representing, powerlifting brands representing meats. And that's, I think, is going to be a, a huge step in the right direction for uh, just the growth of powerlifting. And that's one thing too, is because you see Notorious Lift really growing exponentially, and it's like that's that's something that I don't want to lose sight in because it's it's the small people, you know, the people who don't have the clout, you know, the local meets. Those are the people who built Notorious Lift. You know, mm-hmm. like we never Notorious Lift wasn't built on like big 
social media influencers you know yeah like you know we only started having athletes like last year you know but at that time the first lift every launch like we we're already selling out and everything is just you know my goal of having athletes was okay as a build brand they you know it's not like we have our athletes don't have like a hundred thousand followers or something like that but i feel like you know notorious lift and the athletes we bring on uh on board we are on par so as notorious lift grows as a brand our athletes grow at the same time yeah you know yeah absolutely i've i've, I've told that to so many people like the importance of actually helping the brand that supports you and promoting it mm-hmm. like when you promote your brand that's only good for you because if the brand succeeds you succeed at the same time and i think you also did so you did very well when i saw you starting to get athletes on i'm like perfect because the athletes you were getting on were one fantastic lifters but two a spotlight is going to be shed onto them that's going to be positive and it's going to help them as far as you know their own individual careers go but also at the same time yours and that's you're absolutely right about that that's actually a very good point that you bring up that it wasn't like the russ orhees or the uh, Daniela Mellos or like the Amanda Lawrence's that were helping Notorious Lift. It was just every lifter. It was every lifter who just liked the brand and that eventually got people into the shoes and found out that it's actually a quality product. It wasn't a star power type brand that that propelled the success. Correct. You know, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of influencers who reached out and said, you know, please send me a brand. I'll, you know, uh, give a positive review about it and we would send them out and nothing happened. And, uh, you know, that's why it's like, we're very careful when it comes to choosing our athletes. I feel like all our athletes we have in, right now are very wholesome. Like, you know, you, Tim, Nico, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, we brought in Heather Connor too. You know, it's, I mean, Garrett Fuhrer is obviously one of our athletes, um, and he obviously, you know, he likes to talk a lot of political stuff, but I, the reason why I liked him, because I felt like he really pushed the brand it, it, from the very beginning. He was a, you know, hardcore notorious lift brand. You know, he didn't ask anything from the brand, and um, yeah, like he, you know, even with his clout, he still... You know, didn't ask much from the brand because you know at that time I told him because he's the one who came to me and asked, "Hey, can I be an athlete?" And I was like, uh, "Notorious Lift is just, it's just like a small brand, like that. There's no like brand deals or anything like that." But that's one big thing too that I want to bring up is like, you know, we're coming up with contracts for our, our athletes now. It's like you know, I, I I talk to you about it. Obviously, you know, each ambassador 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 that we bring on are going to have their own collab slipper with notorious slip mm-hmm. yeah i'm uh yeah i'm really excited about that as well uh, it's going to be great to see the contracts going because anytime when you can give back to the lifter it's going to be great but also of course those collabs um i've gotten I, i've i've uh, i've actually come up with some ideas for my collab and i'm actually like yeah. excited about that yeah. yeah so definitely shoot me an email for that one when you have your colorways or whatever designs you think would look cool on your slipper and you know that's why we're trying to push the envelope too when it comes to just not releasing different colorways obviously we have always new designs bring refresh maybe like every six months and um you know between those times we had different colorways but you know we're trying to experiment with a lot of new things i'm sure you've seen the the slipper with a hybrid legacy right yeah uh, 
the sublimation on top and stuff like that. So we're just trying to really push the envelope when it comes to, you know, the innovation side of, of Notorious. But at the same time, really, you know, still remembering what our roots is and it, it's, it's, pal- it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, yeah, that, that's gonna be really, I, I'm very excited to see, you know, kind of that grow, and also, just some of those athlete collabs, too, I'm actually excited to see what the athletes would come up with, as far as their type of slipper, it's gonna be something unique to the sport of powerlifting, when you get to do that, and, like, almost in a way, like, a like an NBA shoe contract where they get their, uh, where they're actually able to develop their own shoe. And like, that's their own signature shoe that they have. So like when you see the Hardaway, like the Penny Hardaways, like back in the day, like that was, that was Penny shoe. Like everyone knows Uh Penny shoe. Everyone knows the Jordans. Everyone knows a certain type of design that goes with it. I think that's the awesome thing about crafting. It's like, you know, we're able to come together and collaborate. You know, whether it be with athletes, whether it be with brands, you know, you, you've seen Notorious collab with Hybrid Legacy. You can see them collab with, um, you know, Kind of Fit, Kind of Fat. And there's, you know, a couple more collabs coming this year, too, with a lot of big brands in in, in the power thing or just in the fitness industry, too. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that, too. And I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be another great feature of uh of your brand in the powerlifting and i think that's only going to help the that's only going to help the growth of sport and your brand as well yeah because it's, it's a win-win situation right like it, it promotes both brands and both brands are supposed to benefit you know it benefits both brands so mm-hmm. there's nothing to lose from it to be honest with you yeah so yeah ab- absolutely so have have uh, have you been keeping up with uh, some powerlifting that's been happening recently, or, or or what? Like, has there been some deadlifters that you've seen that are like, holy shit, this person is getting uh, getting crazy strong? Or because I know well, you're a deadlift like, connoisseur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because to be honest with you, even myself, like I, I'm not even training consistently. Like I'm mm-hmm. doing more like bodybuilding movements now. Like because with the shoes that we're coming out with, it's 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 optimal for for powerlifting. That's for sure. That's that's the base of it, but. You know, we want to make sure the shoe is durable itself so you can actually use it for bodybuilding movements, you know, just wearing it in general in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously with social media, I saw, an, I think, was it Russ, Russell just squatted like 683 for five recently, I think, right? Yeah, it was something nutty. <laughs> it was it was something nutty that's like, all right, Jesus Christ, like I, in the weight class that I competed in uh, – I actually, when we do it on two white lights, like we discuss, uh, we discuss certain lifters and certain matchups we're having with this Mark Madness bracket thing. And I'm like, this is probably proof that Russ Orhe is coming to Raw Nationals with a massive total in mind with, with that squat. Like, uh, everyone is seemingly progressing in that weight class, and it's actually good to see. Yeah, which is crazy, though, because you see that, right? And you're like, okay, well, I guess he has, like, probably like 730 on meet day, right? Mm-hmm. But then you, when I saw you um, hit, what was it, 628, correct, last week? Yeah. You know, I was like, holy crap, like this guy literally blew up and he might be a contender for squats, right? It, it's it, it's almost like it's relative because like when you see your come up from your squats from last year at this time to now, it's, a, it's an exponential growth. But then you see, you know, Russell hitting 683 for five. You're like, holy crap, this is a, like a whole nother pedigree. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But luckily, obviously, 
yeah, yeah, man. I, I, I agree. Like, whenever you see that, you always have to assume that the sport's going to grow with you as you get stronger. The sport's going to always – there's always going to be a person that grows with you or grows faster than you while you're growing. Uh, that's why you have to you have to constantly make improvements to things because, like you said, this, this time last year, we were just trying to break the 600 barrier. And right now we've done that. 600 is comfortable. Um, a little bit of a technique change in the middle of that, but – you know, we're at that point, but with that, it's not like you make this progress and everyone else stays stagnant. Everyone, I mean, you're, you're talking about Russ Orhe yeah. and Jamar Royster squatted seven thirty three for a double. Like, yeah. like what the hell? Like, okay, like now, now it's like they're in these seven hundred ranges for reps. And and you're happy about a 628 squat, and you're like, man, is it gonna be, is 628 just gonna be 600 again, or or high fives? So, so I, I need to ask, does that and and be honest, does it discourage you or does it motivate you? It, it's definitely motivating. Um, I don't think discourage is the right word because it's it's been like that my entire powerlifting career. Like, there's never been a point where I was the best. Right? I feel like your deadlift has always been the best, though. It's always or, been, or, yeah. Or, it's always been, but that's uh, that's just kind of like the differences between competitors sometimes. Because in 181 pounds, my deadlift, since I've got started in powerlifting, it's always been up there. Um, then once I kind of hit 700, I was up in the top five for my deadlifts for about three or four years now. But it's only one lift, you know. Like I know that, but for me. The value, the the thing that I value the most is the total, the best overall lifter, the best lifter in the weight class. I've always valued that in spite of my deadlift. Like, I am, of course, very proud of my deadlift, but that's my goal in powerlifting is to have the highest total in the weight class, to win Raw Nationals, to win IPF Worlds, and to constantly strive to be the best in the world at my weight class. That's always going to be my goal. So, and that's always been the case for me is, like, it's it's been the same thing since I started. Very good at deadlift has to work on the other two lifts. I've done that. Our total's improving. But like at this point, I can't get discouraged because it's always been the case. But if you bring it back to 2019 Raw Nationals, I was just happy to be there. And hopefully I was going to, you know, go nine for nine or something. And, like, I, I finished 12th. Now we're in a different situation where I'm currently ranked third in the 83s. But still... Like, it, the, the goal's not there yet. So if I wasn't discouraged in 2018 and 2019, there's no way I'm going to be discouraged now. It's only going to be motivation from here on out. It just almost looks like you hit, like, a different stage in your powerlifting career. Because back then when you were deadlifting with the with the heels, remember? Yeah. Like, you're, you, you definitely had a high deadlift. But I think at that time, there was people, obviously, that had bigger deadlifts than you at that time, right? But you obviously made major tweaks whether it be in programming obviously in footwear and and stuff in that in that nature and now you're the top dog for deadlifting yeah so it shows you that you know things can actually change pretty quickly i mean you made those changes for squats and look at where your squat is now mm-hmm. you know who, who knows where it might be a year from now you know maybe you'll be a top contender for squats and that can be the same thing with bench too you know, so. I ain't gonna bash on you. I'm not gonna bash <laughs> on your bench, but I know who. who obviously, we got Sean Norigo benching 500 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. But who knows? Like it, it, things can change very quickly. We've seen, given 
obviously it's really off topic, but like we've seen the tourists look, you know, the changes we made from last year to this year, like things can skyrocket quickly, but don't get me wrong. Things can fall very quickly too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, that's a very good point you bring up. And it's just, um, I guess it depends on how a lifter takes it. Uh, I think, I mean, maybe if I was younger, it would be a different situation. Because we see younger lifters occasionally get a little bit too high on piss and vinegar. And they see the progression of other people and that kind of discourages them. For me, it's like, I'm a little bit mature. I'm more mature than that. And I know that I I guess the situations are just a little bit different. Like, I guess I was at a perfect situation my entire powerlifting career where I was always in the thick of things, but never really the top guy, unless you count deadlifts. So, but it, it, but you know that you can improve from there because you've already seen that improvement. Um, And that's, I think that's what we're taking right now into consideration when we're, you know, when we're competing is like, look at where we started even under Joe, like Joe, I think that's that, that's actually the uh, the different gear that we're talking about. Is when I hired Joe. That's when that's when I I no longer was the deadlift specialist meme guy, and actually turned into a powerlifting you know a a powerlifter where it's like oh this guy's actually top ten top five was under Joe and we see where we're, we started and now where we're at. It's like well. We can't use this and say we can't get further uh, in the sport of powerlifting. So it's yeah, it's uh, it's easy. I mean, it's I actually think it's actually easy to to be motivated. I think it comes with also maturing too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like now you you are more grateful about the process of getting to that super total instead of back then, like you said, young, young guns who. You know, their ego is, is so high. They're like, oh, and then they see on social media, like, oh, crap, like this guy just hit this, you know, like, how am I going to, what can I do to get to that? And they feel discouraged because they feel like they're capped out, they're plateaued at yeah. where they're at. But you know, you're like, okay, I'm just going to trust the process. I'm going to trust my programming, trust my coach, and, you know, not let my ego get away, like, you know, go off program to try just so you can feel like, you, you know, you're at that competitive edge with that individual you're trying to compete with. You're just going to trust the process. At the end of the day, end of the day, we know powerlifting is a, you know, a long term. You know, to build that super total, super total is like a long term goal. It's not like it's not like you, you know, MMA where anything. Even if you have the best training camp, you can still get knocked out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It always leads. Yeah. To it always leads to something in powerlifting. There, there's always whatever you're training. It's always for a bigger goal in mind, and that goal it always. It's like it was some of the, it's like the, the the horrible thing and great thing about powerlifting that the goalpost always gets moved, always no matter what. Because I was talking to my friend about this last year around this time, I totaled seventeen hundred. That was that was pretty big. That was pretty big. It put me in like top ten all time. Um, put me like at fourth in the USAPL at the time. Um, it was a pretty. And then if you look at just you know lifters who hit 1700 it's not that many in 83 then take it a year further 1700 is no longer a sexy total it's good it's great like you're you're a very good lifter if you can do that but you're not the top five you're not a top five guy you're bare i mean you might not even be top 10 depending on who you ask the goalpost gets moves get gets moves further every single time then last week i totaled 800 
800 used to be this, you know, this huge number that 83s are trying to hit. There's currently six guys all time who've hit 800. And those are some real great competitors in there too. You're talking about some of the best of all time. I know for a fact the goalpost is going to get moved again. It's going to get moved quite quickly. And if you don't believe me, as the day I totaled 800, Russ squatted 683 for five. The goalpost is going to get moved. It, it's just going to constantly get, and that's that's kind of the great thing. It's like you get that joy, you get that like man, that was that was a great meet. I went nine for nine. I totaled this, but you have to go back out and improve from there. Like you can never be complacent in the sport. Like I don't know. Like I want to ask Russ when he comes out, like because I've had him on the podcast multiple times. I want to talk to him again, like if he's actually ever complacent. Like where he's at, because I definitely am not, but I'm not number one. How about the number one guys? Are they complacent? Are they like just cruising or is like life always a celebration for them? Or like progress is always like, you know, feeling good for them because I just see how the sport's moving. And if you're complacent ever, you're insane. I mean, hack and bet like hack, you would assume he is like, should be the most complacent lifter of all time, but he's constantly making progress because he's trying to total like, these insane numbers that only super heavyweights can hit. I, I think that's the beautiful thing. It's, it's, not, it's, it's like, you know how people say, surround yourself with people who are more successful as you. So you can, you know, you have something to really chase for, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's, it's almost like saying, you know, aim high. So even if you, you know, even if you fall, you fall out of a place where you didn't really expect. Yeah. Right. Like you said, it's part of you know not being complacent because maybe two years from if you look back in you know two years ago, you would never thought you you would be hitting the numbers you're hitting now. Yeah, but it's you know it's part of those numbers is is because you're seeing these competitors you know hitting these crazy ridiculous numbers, so that's really pushing you. That's really driving you to give it your best too. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. I mean, if you if you go two years, I bet you could go on my Instagram and see that I'm I was probably very proud to be ranked in that year like twenty second, like two years ago. I was I was I, and I can tell you, it's not it's not me bullshitting right now. I was very happy about that. I was happy about being ranked twenty second, and then two years later, I'm happy about being ranked like sixth, but. Two years from later, if two years from now, I'm not going to be happy being ranked six. I want to be up. And then if, if I'm, say, three or two, no one gets into a sport because they want to be third or second. Right? And then if you even get first, you want to repeat. It's like, it's a constant, it's a never end. Like, no matter who you are in the sport, that's the great thing about it. There's always this constant room for improvement. So let me ask, like, let's say three or four years ago, I remember you wearing the, the, I believe it was like the singlet that had the black and white stripes on it. Yeah. You know, and you were doing that local meet. At that time, did you have the mentality or the goal of being the best? Or did you just want, you were just in love with apparel thing at the time, you were just trying to improve your total? Because I know now, I feel like now your goal is like, okay, now you've seen the numbers you're hitting. You see that the potential for you to be number one, like that, that, that is, it almost seems feasible now, but three years ago, you know, like you said, you were ranked 22. So you're like, man, will, will I ever be at the top? But you know, I, I love what I'm doing now. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, I I've said this to many people 
you know, I mean, every single time I have a meet, I'm always nervous, no matter what. Even this past meet, because it was a local meet, there wasn't any money online, it wasn't Nationals, it wasn't the Arnold, but I was still nervous for it, because you always want to go and perform. You never want to underperform. I'm always afraid of underperforming. But in the back of my mind, always, even if you underperform today, you get to go into the gym on Monday. And you get to work out again. And you get to do the thing that you love doing every single day up until your next meet. That was my mentality always in powerlifting. When I was wearing the Juventus kit, you know, singlets, the wrestling singlets, squatting in, you know, deadlift shoes, that was always my mentality too. Was it wasn't I, – I didn't think I would be number – or close to number one or make the growth that I've been doing. I, I actually never thought that I would be deadlifting 750. I thought UU's record was going to reign supreme. I thought that would be the, the pinnacle of things. Now we're talking about 771 and 800. But at the time, it, it was the same sort of mindset. Compete. You love competing. And then when the competition is done, you get to do the thing you love doing every single day again. Like there's always like there's always going to be that. And I've seen that in all aspects of sports too. Because back then, when I see whether it be in boxing, MMA, uh, NBA, whatever it might be, I feel like the the losing side, like if if they were to lose a world championship, it's almost like it's almost like a life or death situation for them. Yeah. But now I like see it in like UFC, for instance, like Conor McGregor. Remember his his come up? It was like you know. Is he was just on that that freight train of just keep going and winning and just bashing everybody, being the you know the top dog. But now, like with him losing like three out of his last four fights, is he still has the mentality of a champion where he's like, okay, well, whatever. Like I, as humans, we're not perfect. We don't need to have fifty and zero records. But he learned from what he you know the mistakes that he made from those opponents, and he you know he's gonna refine them. Mm-hmm. and you know go 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 at it again yeah. obviously there's other people too who just are in that losing streak and they're like okay well maybe it is my time to hang up the gloves yeah but it, it, i feel like it's it, that mentality of like you know that do or die situation i feel like it, that that really changed now it's almost like you, you it, it's not like a negative situation you actually learn from it yeah you know yeah, yeah i completely agree with you on that one um that's yeah, and that, that's that's always that's actually the be- better thing about powerlifting than those other sports, um, and that's why it, it is it is at the end of the day just a fun thing to do. Like I will tell you right now, competing is amazing. Competing is fantastic. I love competing, especially at high level meets, but I don't love it as much as just training every single day. That's like that's the great like. That's I can't look forward to meet all the time. I can't look forward like, okay, I have this meet coming up today and then, you know, we're going to take two days off and then I have another meet. It's not like that. Powerlifting, I get that. I get, you know, I get to work in the morning and then at, you know, when work is done or as work gets closer to being done, like, oh, yeah, finally I get to go to the gym. You know, I get to, I get to go in my space and work out. Same thing on the weekends. Like, I'm like, ah, you know, get to wake up early and actually just go right to the gym. I don't have to do any other errands. I just get to go right to the gym this time. I don't have to, you know, this other, like all the other stuff that I have to deal with. And I think that's, that's always going to be the case for me. And then off, I mean, you know, off days, you're just looking forward to training again. That like, 
no matter what, lifting day in and day out and powerlifting is going to be better than competing. And I think that that that's what happened to me too, because like when I was working my nine to five job, right? Uh, I guess powerlifting was my void back then because like I was always counting down the hours until I get off work so I can go train, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it part of it is like you know I didn't like my job, you know, and so that's why I was the only time uh, the day that I was looking forward to was when when I can train. And I think once I built Notorious Lift, where it's, this thing is truly my passion, that's why, you know, competing or, or lifting or powerlifting was kind of, was like a, was a lower priority for me now that since I have the brand to run, it's something that I have passion for in regards to designing product that, you know, consumers will be thrilled about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we, when we have a successful launch, like, it's great when, like, you know, it sells out and stuff like that monetary wise right but it's really the process of the r&d stage of like you know this took like over like close to six months to a year to really you know change all like the errors that we had and stuff like that too because to be honest with you this was actually a lace version and there was a tongue for it but then you know we were testing it and we just couldn't perfect it and we just had issues where it was just it felt a lot less secure than having one solid upper, like how it is right now. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's a lot of trial and error. And I feel like that's the, the, you know, the process of really building debts. I think that's the most fun part. Yeah. You know, the result, obviously the result is very thrilling, you know, but it's really the, the part where you're really putting in that work is, is, is a, it's the most rewarding part. Yeah, I've I've said it many times. Even not a, not even a powerlifting. It it applies for powerlifting, but other things too. It's always it's always the journey, not the destination. When you get to that destination, like I mean, like uh, I I use it for I use it for sports a lot. When people ask me, like, because I'm a huge uh, Cubs fan, when people ask me, like, you know, what what was your favorite part about when the Cubs won the World Series? I'm like, it was when they got to the World Series. Winning the World Series is like a come down of adrenaline, really. It was like three days of just like coming down off that. But the moment where they where they got there, that's when I was the most happy. Same thing with powerlifting. It's when you compete and you hit something big. Like when I when I deadlifted 750, I think I mean I would I would qualify my 800 total as my you know biggest achievement in powerlifting, but. I think other people would say when I broke the all-time world record, that was my biggest achievement. It was that that feeling was gone within two days. But if you take it back and you take it to my training, it was 13 weeks of, of just constant, constant determination, constant focus. And just the, the endorphins were still being released. You know what I mean? It was like that was the, that was the best part of hitting 750 was training for 13 weeks that was the best part figuring things out you know hitting little milestones as you go making little breakthroughs and success like like really when i when i like deadlifted 700 for a double that would that feeling was might have been more energetic than me actually pulling 750 because i didn't think we'll pull 700 for a double within you know that training block but we did and that felt amazing so it's and I get and I, and I got to go into the gym the next day 
and try to hit something stupid on my bench and squat. So let me ask, the momentum, was training always great uh, going towards that meet, the, the meet that you had last week? Or was there hiccups or were there days where you felt discouraged? Because like, there's times when I would watch your deadlifts, I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like, his max is like 730, but why is 675 moving slower mm-hmm. than, than what his max is? And then last week, I saw you hit 760 with lightning speed. I'm like, holy crap. I was like, okay, 800, 800 is there, you know? So yeah. it's like, I don't know. It's almost like it's a, it kind of really messes with your emotions because, like, there's so many, like, ups and downs that, and, you know, you're trying to control all the variables you can. But at the same time, there's, you know, I don't know, like there's just bad training days. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, that yeah. definitely does happen with, with us. And that's something that that goes along with that little, you know, the journey process that I'm talking about. Um, there are, I mean, there are, because I'm very critical of myself. I do remember there was like three week span. Everything, every top single was over 700. So I think we start off with 700. Next week was 716. The following week was 733. I didn't like any of those deadlifts. Like, all those deadlifts to me, I'm like, what happened? Like, it moved. It's like, it looked good. It looked fine. It looked fast. But it didn't feel fast. I felt like there was some hiccups along the way. Like, halfway through, like, what's going on here? And then, you know, me and Joe would work on it. And then we found a solid, we found a solid uh, cue that would help us. Right. And, you know, the next week I was able to pull 755 and it felt great. Like it felt better than 733. Um, and I'm like, okay, this cue's working for us. Like that happens so often. That happens in all my preps. Um, I wouldn't qualify those as hiccups. I was, but like, I, cause this prep is actually one of the more smooth preps I've ever had. Um, I mean, that was really because we were kind of just trying to take it easy for the meat because, you know, we didn't, we didn't have to kill ourselves because we want to, we want to save killing ourselves to raw nationals. But, but with it, but within every single prep, there's always days like that. Um, I mean, uh, immediately my squat was like my, my, uh, the first week when we put on, you know, five sixty, I, I was like, Oh shit, that moved slow. That didn't feel like my other squats. Am I, am I, am I burning myself out already? Am I, did I overshoot? And we saw a little bit of a technique change, slow it down a little bit, and we were able to go from there. It's it's always it's always a constant work. Like every week, there's always just a constant work that I have to do. And um, I, I would like discourage. I, I guess I don't know. Discourage isn't the right way to the right thing to say. I guess it would be more like okay, this is we we have options here to get out of this funk. And if those options don't work, then we got to find something else. Like, cause there's always some like little thing that we could tweak that will help us optimize our performance. So 628 squat and 760 was the highest you ever hit, whether it be in the gym or at a meet, correct? Yeah. So go before going in, hitting your last top single of squats and your top single uh, of deadlifts, did you already knew that you that 760 deadlift and 628 squat was going to move like that at the meet? Um, yeah, I mean, for squat, definitely. Squat, squat, my confidence has never been higher on my squat. So, like, when I squatted 606 for my second attempt, I was like, yeah, I think 628 is there. And, like, if I have to grind it a little bit, I could easily do it. 
Um, and then when it moved smooth, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's only a five, it's only a two and a half kilo improvement from the previous week that I hit, uh, 622. So when it moved smoothly, I wasn't very surprised. Deadlift is a little bit different though. And I tell people this, um, a lot because to them, and it might be, I, I guess it might be a little arrogant here, but to them, certain deadlifts be like, yeah, you can easily throw five to 10 pounds on things and be able to muscle it up. That's with a certain weight. When you're getting into the 700s and like 750 plus, I'm not going to be able to muscle the weight up anymore. I can't fuck up a lot and save myself on just strength alone. I can't do that with 760. No one really can. It's very hard. You know, like, and the reason why, because no one, like two, two people have ever deadlifted over 750 in comp. Me and Ina in 83s. We're talking about uncharted territories here. So you have to be an absolute executioner with that lift, especially when you're talking about, you know, breaking your own American record or breaking your own world record. You have to execute it. So to me, when I got, you know, when I did my deadlift, it's like, okay, you have to still be perfect on the 760. Because if you're not perfect and you get out forward a little bit, if you make your same mistakes, if you pitch a far for, bar forward, you are not going to be able to use your upper back here to grind this weight out. You have to be perfect with execution. And that goes in your mind. It's like, you know it's not a done deal. Like, on, on that squat, I knew I could fuck up a little bit and muscle it up. Like, I knew that, just based on how things moved. With 760, I can't play with it. I can't play with 760. It's got to be ex- – and what happened – is we executed it perfectly and it moved like lightning speed. And that was kind of the goal was to make it move very fast. So we could think like for nationals uh, to attempt, you know, 771, 7071 plus. So let me ask because, so going after squats and bench, how tired were you? Were you pretty drained? No, oh, no. You, you no. still had, oh, no. the adrenaline was still running high. Com- competitions, man, I always say, Easier than training days. Training days, we're kicking our ass. We're kicking, you know, we have all the back offsets and the, the accessories and the variations. Those days, kick kick my ass. Like, an SSB squat day where I hit a top set of five and then four back downs of eight is harder than a meet. <laughs> it's like, because then we have bench after that. And then towards accessories, then that's like, oh, my God, like, my muscles are really like I have no glycogen left. We gotta we gotta replenish somehow. Meats, you know, it's just what you got. You got nine lifts. But do you think that you would be perform better if even shortening the time from you you squatting to benching to deadlift, you would even perform better too? Um, because for me, I noticed like okay, let's say after squats and I get onto bench, you're like okay, yeah, I guess there's some adrenaline there. But after bench, I'm like okay, well like. You know, this meet is taking way too long. Like, you know, let's just do this thing. It's like, but back then I used to squat every day and then like bench every day and then deadlift like two or three times a week. Like I would perform better because like I would squat, bench and deadlift like within the hour, you know, and that's where I had the most energy. But every time when it comes to the meet, I'm like, okay, well, like I'm kind of almost over this after a bench, you know, I'm like, come on, you know. Well, so when it comes to, yeah. once it comes to deadlift, you like, you know, all that, um, you know, like caffeine, caffeine, you're like, you know, you're coming down from it now and stuff like that. So, well, I will, I will say this. Uh, I actually understand what you're saying. 
and I guess this is the, uh, I mean, my past four meets that I've done. you got to think about what the meets were. Um, nationals. Quick meet. Nationals is always fast. Uh, there's less There's less competitors there. There's five platforms, so it's fast. You're looking at two and a half to three hours. That's a regular gym session. Arnold, just as fast, if not quicker. Um, also, COVID Arnold. A little bit faster with that too, without without the you know the bells and whistles and all that kind of stuff. Then my next meet was Midwest Prime Time. That was a COVID meet. That was um, twenty two lifters, or actually eleven that day, twelve lifters total. So that meet was very fast. So it was like then the most recent meet was another COVID meet that had forty five lifters. So it was all very fast. The days of me competing at those all day USPA type meets. It's kind of yeah. done. <laughs> like, yeah. or, like AP, like my first APF meet started at nine and we were out by seven. Yeah. So it was an all day event. Like, I, I guess, I, I guess me saying that now, like where I don't get drained or anything, there's no come down is due to just my meets all being much shorter. And that's probably going to continue to happen. Like when I do uh, the power surge meet, we'll see if I actually, my you know endurance kind of stays up the entire day. Cause it's not going to be, a nine it's not gonna be a nine to eleven meet. It's going to be nine to five. Yeah. But I mean that's that's a sweet spot though. It's like if I get a meet at noon and we're done at like three or four, that's my sweet spot right there. That's like perfect meet pacing for me. Is a little bit longer between a little bit longer between lifts. Um yeah. and a, a little bit shorter in between attempts. Like that's yeah. that's my thing. Like you said, training days are way more grueling than, oh, yeah. than competition days. But it's not about you know when you have a meet where you go from like nine a.m. all the way till five p.m. It's not about how grueling the the lift was. It's more like just being taxing, being you know surrounded by a bunch of other lifters and other people where like adrenaline is always running high. But obviously, there's going to be a come down um, as the meet keeps prolonging. Yeah, it's stimulus overload too. <laughs> Like there's a there's just a there's too much like things going on at those meets too. Like yep. there's days where I mean at days that I'm not um even competing. So say if I'm working a booth or handling someone or attending it, uh you know like I I know I know I'm never gonna go to a meet and just sit there and not do anything and just watch the competitors. I'm always gonna be talking. I'm always gonna be like within the moment of it. Uh gonna be in the backstage area too even that like that whole day of like this the the stimulus of it is taxing it's it like legit can't tire you out like one time i remember i went to a meet in chicago stayed there for like five hours um you know handled some people did some uh loading in the warm-up room for some guys you know, talked to a lot of my friends then i went to go train afterwards it felt like i had a, an entire work day then went to train, even though I just had fun at a meet. Like, it wasn't yeah. anything different from what I normally did, but it was just, like, meets itself or everything going on, it's hard to, like, space yourself out from it. But that's where the USAPL, I think, does a great job. It's uh, smaller sessions, primetime sessions. Uh, you only get 11 lifters sometimes, 22 lifters at occasionally. And, you know, those quicker meets are actually often better for me. So, for instance, like your your meet your meet last weekend, it, it was you're probably in and out pretty quickly, right? 
So the whole time you're just uh, are you are you interacting with our, other people or are you just really gung ho, really focused and just sitting there and thinking, okay, like you're really trying to visualize what the next lift is gonna look like, it's, or are you just having fun, being like, hey, what's up, everybody? And, mm-hmm. You know, people are, you know, people you're seeing on social media or friends and stuff like that. It's it's better for my competition if I'm loose. If I'm wound up, it's, it doesn't go as well. I, I do a little bit of both. Like, I do definitely visualize my meet and try to get myself focused in, uh, especially second to third attempts. That's where I kind of, you know, zone in and try to focus. Uh, but I notice myself, uh, if I am a little looser and a little bit more just, I don't know, just not thinking so much and out of my own head, um, it's, a, it's a better beat for me. Uh, I think... I, I don't think this dictated my performance a lot, but I think Midwest Primetime... Midwest Primetime was the meet I was most nervous for because that was my first kind of primetime-ish session, you know. And the goal, the objective of that day was to win, and I wasn't going to win, like, certain meet, like local meets, for example, or state meets, where you could just win on your openers if you're, like, a certain lifter. That meet was the first meet I did. It was like, okay, you are the favorite to win... But you have to execute your lifts. You have to go eight for eight prior to that in order to win. You can't miss a squat. You can't miss a bench. You have to go two for two on your deadlift. And then you can have fun on your last attempt. That meet I was most nervous about. And I think I was a little bit I was a little bit tightened up and tense because of that. Uh, that a little bit of the uh, just this me overthinking things and me trying to like, you know, really dial it in. Uh, but if you look at the Arnold, we're actually, it helps like thinking about not winning because the Arnold, I didn't even think I had a chance to win. I was like, yeah, I'll get, you know, within the range, but I'm not going to win best overall lifter. Then as the day was going on, like, well, your numbers are moving well. It's like, you could possibly win based on missed attempts. And I still wasn't thinking about it because I didn't care. And then once deadlift rolls around, like the, the, the objective that day was to go nine for nine, 1700 total and deadlift 750. Like... I wasn't thinking about winning. I was just loose, having a good time, you know, waiting to, for my last deadlift and see what we can do. And we ended up hitting it. And it was just, it was, there was like, I didn't put any added, uh, added stress on myself. That day. And same, and, and very, and this, this local meet too, because it was like, I'm not, there's, there's no money on the line. It's not like a shark tank of absolute monster competitors. We're just here to have fun. I'm here to total 800 kilos. And, I was much looser because of that. Yeah, but that's what helped you perform, and that's what what kind of optimized it for this meet. But going to raw nats when you know there's going to be top dogs, like, are you going to change your mentality, or like, how are you going to go in there? You know, with the with what mindset are you going to go in there? I think you said you perform better with the loose, yeah, and not being like, okay, you know. Yeah, I'm here to have fun, and but I, I don't know. There's a fine line because when it's time for second, they're dead left. Nobody fucking talked to me. Um, you know, zero, you know, zeroed in. Like, you know, it's time, and you know, confidence are running high, even though you there's, there's jitters and stuff because you know you have it in the bag. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I I guess well, if you do hit your first and second attempt, it's still a little bit easier to get like loose for that third attempt because you're like, yeah, like I've been ex- if I guess. Depending on how you hit that first and second, that's why such the execution is is big. But even for raw nationals, because it's, I, I said this to, to um, I think actually I think it, me and Joe talked about this off air, uh, on two white lights. 
my mindset, my my uh, my goal isn't going to change because I'm not Russ and Sean. Those two guys have to worry about each other the entire day. They do. They have to worry about each other the entire day because their attempts are going to be dictated on what the other guy hits. If one misses, their attempts are going to be changed. If one guy hits a, uh, a weight, they might have to make changes on the spot. For me, it's not the case. It just simply isn't it. If I'm if I'm going to try to go lift for lift against Sean and Nori, stupid. It's a stupid strategy because I know what Russ can squat. I know what Sean can bench, and I know what I can deadlift. Trying to match him on those things or being in the thing would just set me up for, set me up for failure. So for me, it's like, let's hit. The goal doesn't change. PR your total. Hit what you need to go eight for eight. And you have that final pull. My my, I'm I'm gonna be looser than those two guys. I can tell you that right now. But but, but going going into Dallas, like you already said, Russ got the squat. Sean has the bench, and no matter what, either one of those are gonna be first or second. Yeah. Right? But going to Dallas, you know, is that is that when the big dick energy comes in? You're like, hey, this is my lift, everybody. <laughs> like, it's all, all, all eyes on me. I'm about to close the show. Yeah, is that when you know, like the confidence is like the most high? You're like, dude, this is this is my time now. And yeah, this is like, yeah, pretty much. You know, and, because that's I mean that's what if like that's that's what we said. Like me and Joe, if I go eight for eight, I have the final pull. I. Russ and Noriega are not going to load seven seventy one to seven eighty on the bar. I will, like, like I, I will do that. Like they have to, they, they're probably going to have to pull within the three forty to three forty five range. That's my guess. But I just hit three, like that's I just hit three forty five. Like that's like if they, I mean, I would, be, I would actually be like stunned if they both. Actually, Noriega, I think. I think has a chance to hit 342 to 345. I do think he has that chance. Um, I think Russ will be more in the range of 738 to 744. Um, so sorry, what's the what's the key, what's the conversion of 345 to pounds? 760. 760. That's what I just hit. So you th- so so you, so you think that's what Sean might be able to hit? I think he can do that. He has to execute very well. He has to keep his balance. There's a lot of different variables that go into his deadlift. Um, Cause he, he just cause hits. He hits seven twenty seven. He just hit. Yeah. It, was that fairly? Did that look fairly easy? Fairly easy in your eyes? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a good lift. It was one of. It was the bestest pull has ever looked. So yeah. I think he can definitely. It's the sumo slippers, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was wearing. <laughs> he was wearing yeah. He was wearing the white ones too. He looked great uh on the platform um but yeah he was he was rocking the notorious lifts but yeah he hit 727 that was the bestest pull has ever looked i thought he was good for 744 that day um maybe not 750 but 744 uh i would that's if i was his coach um i would probably if if it was a uspa meet that's what i would load it to on his fourth attempt is uh 744 but i think yeah and i it's like just that day I know when it comes to deadlift that, I mean, I have to go eight for eight before that, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, that's that's the goal that I told Joe. It's like, we got to go eight for eight, but then on third deadlifts, they're going to be still battling with each other. So they're they're not going to try to take these crazy attempts to try to, because it would be, you want to be able to put a lift out there that you're able to hit. 
Like for me, it's like, well, it's either I want to help my placing with this third pull and pull something stupid, and I have a better chance of pulling something crazy than like all the other people at 83. That's what that is. That is where the deadlift is like. It is the most important lift because you have the you have the final say on things. You, you it, and I, I compare it to baseball. Like you're the home run hitter if you're a deadlifter. Like you could be down by three runs the entire game and have nothing going, but you get two men on base, and you get a guy who could hit a ball over the fence. The game completely changes. Like, and that's 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 what I look at with my deadlift is I could I could change things within that third attempt. So is any is anybody threatening your third uh, placing then? Anybody oh, in the eighty three? Sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wait. I, there's a, another. Obviously, there's Jimmy Villanueva, right? Under Joe too, right? Is is he? Can he be a threat for third place? Dude. Yeah. Who, who so, else is there? Dude, we we've talked about this so much on two white lights uh, with eighty threes. There is seriously five five to eight guys who can get third. I'm not even joking. So the biggest ones for me, I, I'm actually going to go in order on this one. Okay. Delaney Wallace is number one. Delaney Wallace, I think, uh, based on his gym total, he is a definite uh, contender for uh, third. Deuce Gruden. Um, Deuce Gruden is a former you know, world champion. He is able to compete at Raw now. He's actually the biggest wild card because we just don't know what he's doing because he doesn't post a whole lot on Instagram. But his last total is 787. You can only – and he has the accolades in the past that – Told, tells you you can total way over 800. Jamar Royster, um, he has about as good a chance as Delaney and Deuce. He has an 850 gym total right now. I don't think he's going to total 850 on a platform, but I think 825 is definitely there for him, and I think that's what's going to get third. There's Ed Taylor, who has a 790 total. He feel, and I, like If you just look at that guy's training, feels like he's just understanding how to powerlift at this point, and he's still totaling 790. Like he's raw. He's he hasn't he doesn't have a whole lot of competitions under his belt. He can easily get third. You know, all he has to do is put fifteen to twenty kilos on his total and he could get third. Um Jimmy Villanueva has a seven seventy five total and he he looked like he was gonna total eight hundred kilos at his last meet, um, and still was able to total something stupid. So I think he will be able to total over eight hundred uh at Raw Nationals. Then there's David Chan, who I think could total over 800. There's David Sheldon, who can total over 800. I don't know if they're going to be 800 plus, but... Both of those guys are under Sean, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the... Yeah, like, so it's... So those are the guys who I think could just total over 800. I think David Sheldon and David Chan, I think if they total 800, it'll be big, but I don't see them going super above that. But all those other guys I mentioned can go super above 800, like to 825 to 830 range. Like, I think all those guys legit have in this. So it's like, it's going to be with that. But the goal doesn't change. It always, it when you have the last deadlift, it always just turns into go eight for eight and then pull something that you need to place. Like, you can actually pick your placing at that point. If you go eight for eight and have the biggest deadlift, you can be like, what do I want to load to get second or third, second or first? Because you have that opportunity to do that. Now, are you going to hit those lifts? We'll see. But you actually do get to choose, like, where do you want to place if you're the biggest deadlifter? 
So I need to ask, out of all of those guys that you listed, none of them come close to your deadlifts, though, correct? No one's going to be threatening your, your deadlifts? The, 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 next biggest, the next biggest deadlifter at 83 is Sean. Sean is the only guy who's that far above 700. Russ is up. Russ, I think, can can make a huge improvement on his deadlift come nationals. Because uh, his best deadlift is 716. He missed 722 at nationals. He missed 744 at his mock meet. He said he got it, but he missed. Um, he missed on grip. So that one, that one, that one had fallen at nationals. But. Yes. I think I think Russ can make a massive performance or ma- make a massive improvement that will possibly be within that second range. But as far as hitting something on the platform, right now I'm pretty far above every single 83. And then the second question would be: Do you think you can be uh, second in squats after Russ at no. Ronex? No, no. Kamar Oyster. Tomorrow, Russ might be second. Oh, okay. When you brought him up, I totally thought that he was a 93 kg lifter. He's big. So- <laughs> yeah, he's now that's going to be the, the, the big thing because he is 83. Um, he has made that cut before. He is still second on squats. Uh, I think he, his best is 305 in, in meat. Um, I think Russ is 310, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think 310 is Russ's best. I could be wrong about that. But those two guys, I mean, even with that weight cut, though, he's he's squatting over 300 keys. So that's so that guy could be second. And then after that, Delaney Wallace could probably squat 650. Um, I'm hoping to be in that range. Same thing with Noriega. He could be 650. Um, Ed Taylor can be in the 640s. There's a lot of Deuce Gruden to be in the 640s. It'll be like that, that to me would be like an actual, like real hard thing to d- decide. But it won't. I won't be second. Kamara and Russ will be first and second. Those guys are on their squats are on a different levels. But you don't see your. Do you think you and Sean will be neck to neck when it comes to squats? Then when, based on his when recent squats, yeah. Based on how both of our squats are going recently. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I can match him on squat, uh, and that will probably be the goal. If like, if we're, if we're squatting within Noriega territory, we'll probably be in good shape. Um, like as far as placing goes, but, uh, yeah, as of right now, that it's Jamar and Russ are on their own island. They're, they, they know what it's like to squat 700 too. I don't know about at 83, but they know what it's like to squat that. So they're on, they're on, they're on their own little island when it comes to squats. So I, I don't, I don't see anyone really over, overtaking them on on squats uh, anytime yeah. soon. So, so what are we gonna do about your bench, though? Hopefully, if we can get it, <laughs> if we can get it in the fours, that'll be good. Like, dude, people like. I mean, I, I, I tell, like, I post on my Instagram my bench all the time. Like, I, yeah. it's not like I'm hiding my bench because I'm ashamed of it. I'm putting my bench out there, and people still are like, well, you don't bench as much. I'm like, dude, I bench six times a week. I squat three times a week and deadlift twice. Like, I am benching my ass off here. Uh, it, it's like, 
I and I and I always post it. I always post it because I need that footage to like really go back on like because it's so volatile my my bench like with technique. So like when it's and there's there's occasions where it goes really well. So I have to go back and look like okay, what are we doing right here so we can you know replicate it in the past or what are we doing wrong here so we could stop you know doing what we're doing and try to find the most consistent pattern of it. But I mean, uh, I, if you listen I to have the, a, I, I have a solution for it though. What is it? it you, do you remember how Rich Piana had that uh, eight-hour uh, bicep workout back uh, then? Yeah. Well, you, need, you, you need to do an eight-hour tricep workout where you just do freaking pull downs eight hours a day. It's a full-time job. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed. I wouldn't be opposed to doing that at this point. But I mean, that's really that's really our strategy with Joe. What he said. Uh, I mean, if you listen to the coach uh, coach client confidential that we had the episode where we recapped it. He was talking about my bench, and I think right now it's just we have to get stronger. Like all the technique, all that other like little programming variable shit, that's good. But we've done that. Like right now, it's just you have to. It's old school. Get muscles on your upper body, get more of them, and push the weight up. Like every like that. That's right now. That's our strategy. Get strong. Can you show me the horseshoe? The show horseshoe? me the horseshoe. The horseshoe is a bad. Yeah. Horseshoe is a bad. It's pretty decent. Is there? It's pretty decent. Is it pretty decent. It's decent. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Uh, the only problem is uh, the only problem is I'm I'm like small. I'm just smaller than the other eighty threes. Like I would be a normal. I would be like the bigger seventy four, but not the biggest. Yo, but how, about, how about your arm length though? It's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's not that bad. It's not. Okay. I could bench. I, I don't. The only excuse I have for not being able to bench is me just not being strong. That's my only excuse. It's just me not having a strong upper body and me not having enough muscle on my frame. You look at all the eighty threes. They're all bigger than me. Aside from David Sheldon. David Sheldon. He's taller than me. He's a slender man too. Yeah, he's he's taller than me, but he's he's not bigger than me. Uh, all the other guys that I mentioned. Like even the guys who can place third, every single one of them is bigger than me. So we got to just put some size on. Actually, go through a water cut because we never cut weight for a meet. I'm always undersized going into eighty three. What are you sitting now? Eighty three point two, and that's after it. We we weighed in at the meet with me eating breakfast mm-hmm. and drinking fluids at eighty two point two. So, uh, do you, are you on a strict regimen on your diet, or are you just eating whatever you? Well, like, are you eating a lot of pasta? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we, we are doing that, but um, it is. I this is kind of my diet. It's, I ha- I hit my macronutrients for the day, then I eat more of that macronutrient at night, so like to get more extra calories in. And it, it's it's still linear pro- progression because we started with Joe. I was like eighty one. I was yeah. walking around at eighty one keys. Like right now, we're walking around at eighty three keys. So yeah. we're 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 making good like linear weight gain. Um, just we have to make more of it. We have to we have to be probably eighty four, eighty four and a half for my next meet. If I that's I think that's what's gonna help my bench the most. Is just putting 
solid muscle on my body and gaining more weight because there's a correlation there, right? Like Russ is about 87 kilos. Nori's about 86 kilos. Jamar's about 88 kilos. Delaney's 80, like around 85, 86 too. Like they're all big. They're all big dudes. So we, I just got to get as big as them. Because we got, we like we have, we have the squat and deadlift now to kind of keep up with them. But the biggest disparity is with my bench press. True. Maybe it's all the whiskey you've been drinking with your cigars that's holding you back. <laughs> well, that's actually it happened. Uh, that happened at the Arnold, where we were making weight gain, and then I stopped drinking for three weeks, and I started to lose weight a lot. And I'm like, oh no, that oh. means I've been drinking way too much. <laughs> like, like, well, like, I'm like, we've been replacing calories. Like, that's been yeah. a calorie of mine is beer. So I'm yes. like, oh God, I'm like, we got to replace beer calories with like an actual thing. Wait, so how often are, are you drinking a beer though? Is it only on weekends or? Only on weekends. Like a- I occasionally, when I do a podcast after a lift, I would have a beer. Um, it, it, yeah, I think it's about like three or four a week. Three or four what? Three or four a week. Oh, it's, it's, not, it's not a whole lot, but it was like... I, but I think I cut down on it now. Because for the Arnold, I was like... It was like a beer a day. I was on a, I was on a nice little beer beer twist there. And how about a cigar? Are you still smoking a, a, on the weekends? Oh, yeah. Cigars are on the weekends. Uh, that doesn't have anything to do with my weekend. Cigars on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, usually, usually when I do a podcast, I smoke a cigar. This is the exception because yeah. I have to train after this. So, um, actually, I usually I usually smoke a pipe though. I could smoke a I, so I could smoke a pipe, like a little pipe uh, tobacco, and go to the gym. I can't smoke a cigar and like be fully one hundred percent for the gym. Oh hell no! Yeah. Especially the, the 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 big ones I like to smoke. Like those are yeah. those are a little bit harder. Wait, wait, don't. So you're telling me that you smoke the whole thing in in one sitting though, or do you just cut it? Oh no, I I, I smoke the whole thing. Oh damn! Yeah, well, I'm, what am I? Gonna, I can't see the thing. I gotta smoke. I gotta. That's when I when you ever see if, if you're on Instagram and you ever see me smoke yeah. a cigar. The big ones. That's yeah. like when I'm doing all my work for two white lights. I'm outside. Uh, I do my editing when I'm smoking a cigar. I go and you know respond to lifters, like try to figure out a schedule. That is my. That's actually what makes it bearable, is having yeah. a little little bourbon, little whiskey by me, a little cigar, yeah. and then uh, you know, that that makes the two hours, three hours I have to do editing fly by. But now, obviously. But how's the weather out in in uh, in Chicago now? Is it are you able to sit outside? A little bit. Are? So so in, all right. If you're if you're a Chicagoan, if you're a true Chicagoan, and it's spring, the early parts of spring, and the snow melts, it could even be February. If it's over thirty five degrees, that's outdoor weather. Like, you can you no can way. definitely go outside for an hour and smoke a cigar and go and like chill outside for it's it is it's different though for everything so if you're a true chicagoan like right now i think it's like 45 degrees it's sunny too so 45 degrees yeah 48 degrees that's actually okay. solid whether to go out and smoke a cigar and actually go and do things but here's the funny thing once it turns 
once once it turns to winter, okay. it gets like 30 degrees, that's when everyone starts going inside again. It's just our winters are so long and so terribly cold that yeah. seriously, this happened this year. It was, we had a stretch of week where it was like, it wasn't getting over like two degrees. It was mm-hmm. bad. It was like super, super cold. Then the next week, it was like 35 out. Dude, it felt like summer. It felt, because it was a 30-degree increase, it was still cold, but it felt like, like oh, God, I could take off all of my layers. I could only, I could, I could only wear a jacket today. It felt like yeah. summer. Like, yeah. and, then, and then when it turns 50 degrees, dude, that's summer. That's summer. That's short sleeve weather. So, in the wintertime, that means in Chicago, you guys are running the heater 24-7? Yeah, no, it's, it's rough, man. You know, pipes burst. You got to be able, you got to, you got to make sure your pipes are running. Uh, keep them warm. We put a space heater by the pipes. Like, because uh-huh. we, I mean, it, when you have one pipe burst on you, you will forever, uh-huh. you will forever, like, modify your house to make sure that never happens again. Because that is the worst yeah. goddamn thing ever, having a <laughs> stupid pipe burst yeah. on you. Remember, I heard it too. I was upstairs and I heard like this weird, like just you could just hear, hear, hear you could hear something breaking. I'm like, oh god, where is that? So I was like, yeah. I, I was in my garage like looking, I'm like okay, it's not over yeah. here. Then I go in my meat cellar and the pipe from my kitchen bursted everywhere. I'm like, ah, oh, great. So turn the water but, 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 off super quick, but so how easy to fix it? It's a one day job, right? about yeah i mean i don't fix it myself like that's that's above my uh pay grade there we call someone else for that the only thing i could do at that point is like i heard the pipe burst i got down there super quick and i was able to turn off the water to my house to like make sure it didn't flood my basement like that's the best case scenario it's like it's like the pipe bursting and me hearing it in enough time because if no one was home like the the basement would have flooded so that's that's, so that's what at that time, it. did you have a heater right next to it, or did you? That's the lesson where you learn. You're like, okay, I need to have a heater next to it. That one, we did that. No, we did that for my actually my laundry room because one time we had a piper, so we put the heater over there. That one was from my kitchen, and we couldn't get the heater going. The problem with that one was we weren't leaving our sinks running. You got to have your sinks running, like dripping, to have uh-huh. water constantly going through because it won't freeze that way. Ooh. Like that'll keep the that'll wait, keep... wait. So you leave it slightly open? Yeah. Like a very oh, little grip okay. kind of going. Um oh, that's okay. that's that's kind of the strategy with uh with that one now. Yeah, man. It's uh the weather's out brutal in Illinois, but you're in California, so you get to like every day every day could be a holiday for you. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like ninety degrees today. It's so you, man. It's, it's ridiculous. I'm getting, I'm getting into my summer feels right now. I'm getting into my spring feels too because you know baseball just started, so I'm like feeling it. I'm, but I'm waiting for like yeah. the actual consistent warm weather coming in because I'm, I'm feeling it. I, I, I enjoy my summers uh, out here. But yeah, man. Well, you know what? We've been talking for over 90 minutes. This has been a fantastic interview. 
I'm going to let you enjoy some of that California weather. I'm going to let you enjoy your family as you go. Thank you for coming on Two White Lights again, man. Thank you, man. It's, it's always great catching up to you. And, um, yeah, thank you for always supporting the brand, too. No problem. I mean, you guys heard the ad read at the beginning of the show, and I, I don't even think I need to give an ad read now, but if you guys aren't following Notorious Lift, you got to follow Notorious Lift. Get on those drops. That's the best way to do it. Sign up for the newsletter, too. All right, my man. All right, brother. Thank I'll you for having me. I'll see you later. Me. No problem. Peace. Have a good one. Great weekend. Thank you, everybody. Bye. All right.